should have been here in the insert, but we don't have them today. We're all in the same boat. As human beings, we have joy, we have laughter, we have depression, we have sadness, we celebrate, we commemorate, we have our alone times. And we have to live with others because we're all in the same boat. It's not all about me, it's about us. For instance, we look at the law. The law protects me from you, but it also protects you from me. It's about us. We're all in the same boat. The needs of the one are also the needs of the whole. I live at peace when we all live at peace. In our sermon series on, on Ephesians called Who Does God Say We Are? We can summarize Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6 by envisioning that we're all in the same boat, traveling towards the same de destination. Like the lyrics say, we're all in the same boat, we all fish from the same hole, we all wonder where time goes and our money too, we all try to fix broken hearts. We all hope against hope that things turn out for us. We are humans. Who does God say we are? In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, he says, we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. Now, in the first three chapters, we saw that Paul talks about our wealth in Christ, seated at the right hand of God, seated with him in the heavenly places. And in the last three chapters, Paul describes our walk with Christ. He uses it six times, beginning in chapter 4. Paul focuses a change from belief to behavior, from doctrine to duty, from the root of salvation, who is Jesus Christ, to the fruits of salvation. Paul says, 
as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. In this move from belief to behavior, from doctrine to duty, from the root of salvation to the fruits of salvation, Paul's teaching to Christians is that we not only confess and believe and know Jesus as our Savior, but that we walk as Jesus did. Even the Apostle John in his first letter writes this too. Know Jesus as our Savior, but walk as Jesus did. Put our feet, hands, do what our tongues expect others to do. The first item Paul takes up in our Christian walk is the church, the congregation to whom he's writing, and it's church. The church isn't a social club. It's not a network to be enjoyed like a club. It's not an activist group. It's not a collection of close friends. It's not an aggregate of individuals. It is one body, just as we have one Lord and one Savior. We confess and believe, and we behave and we act as one. You'll remember, like Patty Duke. They laugh alike, they walk alike, at times, they even talk alike. If we look at the church as merely a human organization, we'll probably watch from a distance, keep ourselves at a distance. It's, it's there for me, but maybe not be part of the group. We'll probably get to the point where we say, it's a bore, it's a snore, it's a chore, no more. Paul says in Ephesians 4.4 4, that the church is one body, a united body. As much as American cultural theology emphasizes Jesus as a personal savior and an individual faith, when Christ brings us in a relationship with himself, he brings us into a relationship with each other. Our theology in the U.S. took shape reflecting our cultural worldview emphasis on the individual. Are you saved? Am I saved? Do you have the personal Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally? The emphasis is on beginning with altar calls back in the 17 and 1800s at these camp town meetings. It's popular nowadays to emphasize a personal Savior, the personal relationship with Jesus, even at the expense of realizing that we the people we, the baptized, we believe. Now, other cultures around the world emphasize the community over the individual. They comprehend that the place of the individual is within the communal life of the whole, not apart from the whole, that they belong all together. Instead of emphasizing that individual relationship with Jesus, it's the family or the tribe, or the town, or the local community which accepts and believes in Jesus. They together grow in a united confession and belief and faith, but more importantly, in a united effort as a community to love and to care and to carry out action in the community. Well, Jesus' community, the first century Christians, became Christians and confessed Christ by households not emphasizing individuality. And this is Paul's understanding, too, when he writes this letter. We all together, in the same boat, 
are saved by faith. We, our community, has been cemented together by the blood of Jesus. There is no stronger bond. There's no stronger bond that ties that bond to us and to each other is Jesus Christ. No stronger bond that ties to work and country and friends and children and spouses and brothers and sisters. I realize, though, that it's much more comfortable to look at the church like any organization we belong to, instead of which we are a part, an active part, like a hand or a foot or an eye in the body of Christ. It's easier to belong to that way we can come and go as we please, when we feel like it, miss here and there, because we belong to it. That's a lot more comfortable, isn't it? If we viewed ourselves as an integral part of our community, we would have to be responsible. We would have to take part. We would have to be active. We would have in cooperation with others. Sometimes it's just easier to do it by myself. Paul's point is the body of Christ. We move from confession and belief to action. We move from confessing Christ and faith in him to walking as Jesus did. We're all in the same boat, fishing from the same hole, trying to fix our broken hearts. So Paul talks about it in two ways. The first is promoted through our behavior. And the second is preserved through our beliefs. Behavior and beliefs go together. It's easy to emphasize one to neglect the other. But Paul won't let us do that in Ephesians. He wants to promote unity through our behavior. Paul says, and we're going to look really closely at this verse, Ephesians 4.2, very first couple of verses in our reading for the epistle. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Unpack this verse. Be humble. Almost every bone in our body longs to live by the opposite of humility. And what's the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride shows up in churches when I think I really don't need any of this, the singing and the preaching and the fellowshipping and the communing. I can do this at home online. I don't need to be with other people. This is the challenge for the, for the church post-pandemic now. I'm doing just fine on my own. I will consult you if I have a problem. Other than that, um, I'm doing okay. Me and Jesus, we're buds, walking hand in hand. I'm on my bike, he's on his bike. Oh, you can't see him. I'm walking down the street, he's walking down the street. It's he and me. Don't need anyone else. So I show up when I want, on my own terms, when I feel like it. To be humble, though, is to admit that I have needs that are found, only found, in the church. Only found when I gather with those around me right here who believe the same things. One, that we're sinners in need of salvation. And two, that we're a family, not in name only, but by water of baptism and by his body and blood in communion. Communion. Union together. Then Paul talks about being gentle. The word literally means to have strength under control. And the word was often used meaning a merciful execution of justice 
on behalf of those who have no voice by those who are in a position of authority. In other words, like Psalm, like Proverbs 31.8 says, 31, says, open your mouth on behalf of those who are unable to speak for the legal rights of all the dying. Open your mouth, judge in righteousness, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Gentleness, to keep it under control. And when the New Testament was written, this word was used to refer to a wind that would just kind of push the boat along at just the right speed. Or was used when referring to a horse that had been broken so that people could ride it. When very destructive, but under control, they're beautiful. So God is saying here, this is what brings people together. Not brute strength, not my way or the highway, or get out of the way. No, God calls us to be gentle, to keep it under control. That's the, the strength under control. Be patient. Macrothumia in Greek. Not micro, not little bit. Macro, big. We get thermostat from this. Heat. Keep that warmth big in our lives. And that is translated as patience. Patience means that we have a long fuse. We keep it under control. Endurance. Constancy. Steadfastness. Perseverance. Patience. Forbearance. Long-suffering, slowing to anger with one another. Not quick to judge. Bearing with other, each other in love, Paul says. Sometimes people rub us the wrong way. Get hot under the collar the way someone acts. Make decisions we don't like. They do things that we don't like. They say stuff that makes us kind of cringe. When that happens, bearing with each other in love means that we won't pout like a child, and take our marbles and go home, or take my basketball and not play with anyone. Bearing with each other in love means humility, means gentleness. Whereas the church unity is promoted by our behavior. In other words, as we do these things, we promote the gospel of Christ. We promote who we are, deserve unity through our beliefs. Paul says, be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we preserve unity? Through our beliefs, through our faith. What is our faith? Paul summarizes this in the first three chapters with these words. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The builders rejected Christ on Good Friday. But on Easter, God made him the cornerstone. And this is still marvelous in our eyes. Christ is the doorway to deliverance, the pathway to peace, the gateway to glory. His mercy is matchless. His love never changes. His grace is sufficient. His word is enough. And his righteous reign is forever. We're all in the same boat. Not a floating, uncontrollably, aimlessly, helplessly on a sea of defeatism, troubles, trials, pains, and sorrow. We're all in the same boat with one Lord, one baptism, 
into the same family of God, the one family. And the key belief that holds us all together and keeps us in this one Christian boat is our confession that Christ is our cornerstone. Other beliefs flow from this. One body. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. We don't do things all in the same way. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are ears. Some of us are hands, as Paul writes in Corinthians. Cooperating together. We behave together as one. With one purpose. With one mission statement. One spirit. One spirit who works through God's word, works through baptism, works through the Lord's Supper. We have one hope the gift of eternal life. We have one Lord. There is just one Lord, and that's not me, and that's not you, it's Jesus. One faith. There aren't multiple faiths. There aren't multiple truths. There's not multiple options. Not all paths lead to salvation, and I happen to choose the one that I want. No, there is one, as Acts says, there is no other name given to mankind is what God does so we only need it once and we are made members of God's family, a community with one set of morals and loving behavior towards all. One God and Father. That kind of says it. Father implies we're not only part of the same body, but we're in the same family. To kind of illustrate, Abigail and Brittany Hensel, conjoined twins from Minnesota. They were born March 7, 1990. They're still alive. Abby and Brittany are one of the rarest set of twins in the world. It's very rare to be born conjoined, one in 40,000. It's even more rare to survive after birth, 1% of one in 40,000. The fact that Abby and Brittany are alive and well is a miracle. But it's interesting. They have two hearts, they have two spines joined at the pelvis, four lungs, two esophagi, three kidneys, one rib cage, one liver, a partially shared nervous system, and shared circulatory system. From the waist down, all organs are shared, including reproductive intestines, bladder. Abby, the right twin, can't feel anything on her left side. And Brittany, on the left side, can't feel anything on her right side. Neither survived without each other. They went to Bethel University and are teachers in the fifth grade at Sunnyside Elementary School in New Brighton, Minnesota. They just celebrated their 30th birthday last year. Paul teaches us in Ephesians, separation is not an option. We're not in this alone. We're rowing the same boat. So now let's rejoice that we are in the same boat. Not that we have to nudge each other for room. That we're all fish from the wellspring of hope and joy in the resurrection. We can rejoice together that we as one body care for each other in and outside of these four walls because we are cared for. We can love each other inside and outside of these walls because we are loved. And we can sacrifice our needs for each other inside and outside these four walls because there was one sacrifice that paid for us and binds us together. Nobody here should feel alone. 
Nobody here should feel that they need to confront anything alone. Nobody here should feel that they have to be sad alone. Our faith unites us. Our faith makes us behave as the body of Christ. One bread, one blood, one wine in communion. That the union of saints, the communion, the two become one in the body of Christ. Let's walk like we're taught, care like we confess, and row the boat together. Amen.